Hello, folks. This is Barack Lurie at the Lurie Law Podcast with my good friend and producer, Ari David. Always a pleasure, as we always like to say. Rediscovering all sorts of great music and fun, interesting things. But <laughs> talking about rediscovering interesting things that are happening of late. And this is only a launching pad <laughs> for this very interesting topic. Um, Ari, you, you gave me this, this crazy, crazy article. Don't blame me for that. I, I just found it. I you, you're just the receiver of news yes. and that you forward over. You're like you're like those musicians that say, I didn't really write this. You know, I, I just plucked it from God and God asked me to give it. It's it's not really me making the music. It's, it's I'm uh, Matt Drudge's muse. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. It's very funny. No, it's it's really um it's a, here's the article. The, the gist of it is this: that this woman very <laughs> proudly. On. I just have to try not to laugh while you. Uh, all right. This, <laughs> okay, so this woman very proudly in the UK, I believe it was, uh, has uh, now proudly said that she has married her dog, and uh, and, and and not only is it you know it's, it's as if she doesn't even understand the momentousness of the moment. She she just talks about it about in the same way that you and I would talk about uh, just getting married yeah the old dog and the old, oh i just the old dog and chain i just <laughs> the old dog and collar <laughs> I, I just made it funny and i didn't even intend to that's really funny i was going to say the old ball and chain right but instead of the, oh you know the old dog and chain <laughs> the old collar and leash but anyway but that's the way you and I would speak. We, we, you know, I mean, it's not necessarily as uh, polite as to say the old ball and chain. You know, now you've got the old ball and chain. But, but this woman, you know, she speaks kind of equivalently in that way. She said, "Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm her, you know, I'm her total bitch." And then, like, you know, joking around with her friends, like, isn't this like as if it's a normal thing? As if we've been doing this for thousands of years. You know, you you, you might marry your dog as easily as you marry uh, you know another person. So that's no big deal. And and for this, uh, in this case, this particular dog makes her feel like she's her bitch. Now, lost in all this is a very interesting note, which is that it's a female dog that she is marrying. So. Uh, I mean, maybe it's somehow okay because you know, if, if the um, this is the ridiculous uh, marriage that uh, we all were talking about would be happening soon enough. Um, but maybe it's not so ridiculous when it's uh, you know she and she are married. Well, it's the same sex marriage. Yeah, so. it's the same sex marriage. So it's, yeah. that's you know that's how we're gradually getting into it. Is that soon it'll be ridiculously uh, a, a male and female. Um, one human, one one dog. So the stigma of interspecies marriages will be, shall we say, the there will be an acclimation process during this time in which the majority of those unions are at least going to be same-sex unions. That's right, exactly right. So they were sensitized to it. Yes. See, see, what you're failing to realize is that it's okay because it's same-sex interspecies. Why, you ask? Because there's no way they can have children that way, dummy. <laughs> <laughs> it's a problem if it's a male and female interspecies relationship, you see, because you might have these half dogs and half humans. Chimeras, I believe, That's is right. the term from Dungeons to Dragons to yeah. describe those. You know, a little part of this, a little part right, of that. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's just, this is so obscene. I mean, putting aside the whole gay marriage issue altogether, just, it, I mean, this is, it's, it's getting farcical. 
this world that we live in, that this actually could happen. Um, now, this is not emblematic that somehow this is happening far and wide. Now, this is the new national trend. But what is interesting is that this woman could think that this was not totally bizarre. That, that somehow in her mind, she felt, well, all that matters is love. I love my dog. Therefore, I'm going to marry my dog. And the, the, the kind of the national conversation, I guess the world conversation has opened it up so that we now talk this way. And it, it, it's not as if she's even apologetic for it. I mean, I, it would be bad enough if she says something as follows. You know, I know in your world it's crazy that I'm marrying my dog, but by golly, I just love her so much and I just can't imagine anybody else in my life. I know it sounds crazy, but this is what makes me happy, by golly. I, you know, that, that would be a, a bizarre enough conversation. But no. No, no, no. She, she instead talks about it the same way that you and I speak about, you know, uh, our, our human <laughs> wives. And uh, no big deal. It's the same thing. Same thing. And who are you? Uh, you're, you're, what is it called? The speciest, I suppose, uh, to think uh, that it's not appropriate to, to marry your dog. Um, yeah, you're, you're hurting her with her very fundamental rights, don't you know? <laughs> And you're like this. But, but you know, here's the funny thing. Here, here's the argument that they made in Congress when Dennis Prager spoke in Congress about, you know, fighting against gay marriage, same-sex marriage, whatever you want to call it. And one congressman very smugly said to him, Mr. Prager, how is a same-sex marriage going to hurt your marriage? So you can almost hear the music, dun dun dun, dun right? Gotcha. Gotcha, zinger. And, uh, you know, I'm sure some people in the audience were saying, darn tootin', yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm sure they used stronger words than darn tootin'. <laughs> but you get the idea. They probably said some other things. And there was some clapping involved. Okay. Okay, this is where, this is how liberals think, right? How about this? How does marrying your dog, how about it, this woman's marrying her dog, how does that affect your marriage, Mr. Prager or Mr. David or Mr. Lurie? And it doesn't affect our marriage. That's right. It doesn't. How about uh, marrying many people? How does that affect your marriage? doesn't affect it. And yet we, we acknowledge that it would be absurd to allow polygamy. It would be absurd to allow marriage to a dog uh, or crickets or whatever it is that you seem to think would be okay. That's not the issue, is it? It's not whether it hurts my particular marriage. Laws are not designed solely to protect people from each other. That certainly serves one of the purposes. But another purpose is it's the kind of society we want to live in. It's the message we send out to the, to the rest of the community. And when we send out the message to the rest of the community that anyone can marry anybody, you're, you're diluting what marriage means. You're diluting what we believe to be the sanctity of marriage, the holiness of it. But uh, this woman and, and her dog, um, it's, it just, it just, it's mocking the institution of marriage. That's how it hurts our marriage. Not, not directly. It's not going to make me love my wife any less or somehow she has less in the way of rights or myself having less in the way of rights. But that's not the point, is it? These same people would acknowledge that you cannot marry your dog. You cannot marry your cat. You cannot marry your, your pet goldfish. Um, it, 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 and, and they won't be able to explain why you can't, but you just, they just know you, you can't do that. Or a peanut or a head of lettuce or a carrot. Right. 
uh, or maybe but, but now that they've opened it up, we have to have that conversation. This bizarre world, this chaos world conversation from planet astral plane <laughs> is now a realistic conversation due to these activists. Right, right. I, I asked uh, one of my associates today, we, we had a conversation about this, and um, I said, um, you know, this is kind of follows up in the conversation we had yesterday about the, uh, the guy who, the bipolar guy, the violent bipolar guy who has to take medicine to prevent him from being violent and, and, and allow him to be functioning in society, right? And then he, t- he takes it, and sure enough, the medicine is just perfect, and it, it does allow him to function, and he doesn't have the violent tendencies at all. And uh, here he is now. He's the, the shopkeeper at, at Ralph's grocery store, and, and he seems to be doing totally cool. And he's not only that, but he's a union representative. He's doing great. Um, and then he says, well, I, I feel great. I don't need my drugs anymore, right? That, so what I'm about to say is the same, because here we go. I asked my associate, and she's very bright, I said, why not polygamy? I mean, putting aside whether we like gay marriage or not, just put that aside. If it's all about love, then why can't a couple decide that they really like somebody else and have that third person be married to them as well? What's, what's wrong with that? If it's all about love, certainly. And economically, it makes more and more sense these days. I mean, if you... If, if you're a couple that has to pay tuition for private school, uh, well, then it sure would help to have a third person pitching in. Right? And getting all those per child, per parent tax yes. breaks. Oh, it would be wonderful. Child credit, welfare or credit or whatever that is. The economics demand it. Yeah. Right? So it's going to happen, by the way. People are going to start clamoring for it. Whether or not it actually happens is another story, but it will happen. And my associate correctly said... Well, I, I see that that is what's wrong with that. You know, if, if three people want to be married, then that should be, it should be okay. It, it doesn't hurt anyone. And that's what I said. And yes, it does. It definitely does. Now, how so, you may say? What's the, what's the big deal? Okay. This is where when you don't know and appreciate the Bible, you end up having to relearn all the things that the Bible has already taught us. And it's not just the Bible, folks. It's not just a bunch of rules. You know, the Bible's really a series of stories, right? What's the best way to convey a message? You can just tell people, you know, do this, do that, do this, and and A, B, and C, and this is the way things should be done. And the Bible certainly has some part of that. But most of the Bible are stories, right? It's entertainment. It's movies from the Middle Ages, basically. Well, you, you, know, can, look at, you can look at it. It's the equivalent of cinema today. Right. It's the great well, stories of the day. It's the great stories of the day, but not just entertainment. It's, it's designed to learn from those. And we learn from the Joseph story, for example, Joseph and Jacob, right? We learn about how jealousy is so deadly. We learn about uh, how favoring one child over the other is destructive. We learn also about the dangers of polygamy. Because polygamy leads to favoring some children over others and fights among the women, generally speaking, it's multiple women, uh, for power. And it leads to the brothers murdering each other, fighting for the birthright or the inheritances. That's right. Likewise, uh, in King David is the best example. He had four wives. And as a result of that, he ended up having wars among the sons against him and otherwise. Absalom, Absalom, right? So... Uh, it's so destructive, polygamy. And it's not as if you have to learn it from the Bible. 
you can learn it from modern day Islam. Or Bill Clinton. Bill, yeah, that's right. Well, Bill, well, that was more adultery, but from modern day Islam, you see the same thing. The, right. The inner. Well, modern day Islam. Uh, if you read the Noni, Noni Darwish book, I forget the the title. It was such a great. Oh yeah, now I'm an infidel. She she is the title, I think, or they call me infidel. Uh, and she converted from Islam to Christianity. One of the reasons why she converted, uh, and one of the issues that she uh, pushed forward, is the notion of polygamy. And polygamy is practiced widely in Islam. Certainly if you can afford it, they, they do that. And she goes about and shows how destructive polygamy is. And, and, and she takes it step by step to show how it forces women to start hating each other, to start being jealous of each other. And forget, we're not just talking about the, the various women who are married to the same man. No. It's that you're distrustful of every woman. Because, for, for, say, for example, if you're the first wife or the second wife, and you see a, another woman talking to your husband, you begin to worry that she might be now a threat to you. So you're distrustful of every woman. And it ends up being very, uh, very violent sometimes and very destructive. And of course, each woman, just like in the King David story, wants, wants the husband to favor her child over the other children. And so you can just imagine this house of cards. It's very, um, a lot of interfighting. Um, that's not good for society. That opens up all sorts of problems that people just don't think through. It but it's so, it's so obvious when you yeah. actually think of it, right? Or when you see, uh, you know, this is going to sound really harsh, but it literally makes human beings, and not of any ethnic group or anything, any human beings who engage in this start invariably within either the generation that initiates it or soon thereafter starts to live like animals, like prides of lions, like, uh, you know, certain any other group of animals that engages in harem based mating behaviors, right. where you have the inter-divisional uh, and inter, uh, it's not really family, it's more within the bloodlines, right. squabbles, all trying to vie for the next position of, of alpha male and the, the most desired female status. So it, it tears society apart both at the family level and like you were saying, within the, the social level, people aren't able to have friends. Everyone is a threat to you. That's right. And and uh, and it, I like your example of the pride and and such, because it, it may not be that the, the two strongest males have to fight each other and lock horns, as it were. Uh, but you know, one all they have to do is exhibit more prowess in the financial realm, for example, or the power realm, one way or the other. And then he gets to say, "I, I get to have a lot of wives," um, which of course is not good in a society where there's more or less a one-to-one -one ratio of male to female. So you got to do the math on this. It doesn't make any sense. And so one man gets to impregnate several women, and, and he gets to lay claim to all of them, at, and no other man can, can lay claim to any one of his four wives. It's, it's an obscene scenario, right? But, but for my associate to not, to, to not think the question through and to say to herself, you know, what does it mean? What kind of society would we live in if we had a polygamous situation? I, th I think it's just very funny. Well, you know what so many people get hung up on these days and why they don't see it through? Uh, sex. Sex is a very self-centered thing. 
when you think sexually about your own sense of self and identity, so often you begin and end your, if you will, thought parameters based on your own pleasure. And we, that pleasure extends into fantasy and hypothetical realms. So when you think through things like gay marriage, same-sex marriage, you're empathizing with another person's potential uh, pleasure realm within that parameter. When you think in terms of the harem scenario, you begin and end the hypothetical conversations many times with your own pleasure scenarios of your own potential fantasies. But you don't think it through beyond... I don't want to use the term because this is a family show, but beyond orgasm. Mm -hmm. I was thinking walking here, we've had many conversations about adultery and why you and I don't in engage in it. Right. Even though we're young, healthy men, where all the parts work, and mm -hmm. you know, a dirty thought may cross our mind occasionally. But, dirty thoughts are normal. Right. And fun. Yeah. You know, in, in, in the right circumstances. Right. But the, uh, the, a base question about adultery is, why don't we commit adultery behind our wives' back? Is that, in essence, why don't we cheat on our wives? And well... And why would we? Well, the reason we would is because the finishing act of sex, or sex itself, feels good. Why wouldn't we? Because, at least in my case, I certainly wouldn't want to deal with the moment after that pleasure happens and then have to explain to my wife why such and such happened or keep it concealed from her because I'm a terrible liar <laughs> or any of the other terrible ramifications that would threaten the sanctity of my wonderful marriage. Right. And, and the point is, right. I'm able to think it through one step beyond, and like you're talking about your associate, she's not thinking through one step beyond the pleasure parameter within that right. hypothetical scenario. Right. Yeah. If it's, what's the expression? If it makes you happy, it can't be that bad. Well, you know what? It, it might make you happy, but it actually might hurt a lot of other people. <laughs> right. Yeah. So um, it's a good example. You say it's because it's it, it does. You have to think these things through. So um, to to make your point. Uh, if a man finds himself just so amorous of this woman, let's put it that way, and somehow they find themselves having a little fling, uh, he's married, and next thing you know, they're, they're doing it, and he, they're done with the act, and the man is thinking, okay, what next? <laughs> what do I do now, right? That's how human beings are? That's how, well, that's how men are, too. When they're done, they're like, okay, how do I exit out of this situation? Uh, not when they're married, but... How do they exit out of the situation, especially if they're cheating on this woman, uh, on their wives? So, okay, so now how do I exit out of the situation? How do I make it so that it never happens again, uh, at least with this woman? Or some well, of them think, how do I make it happen again, right, unfortunately? Right. Okay. But let's say, they, generally speaking, that woman, she's, the reason why she's willing to, to do this is because cause she doesn't really want a one-time fling. I, certainly there are so, some women like that. But by and large, uh, a woman likes the emotional conquest. Not necessarily the physical conquest, but the emotional conquest. And maybe she wants a relationship of, of this man. And then she could pull him away from, from his wife, which for some reason is, is very intriguing for a lot of women. So, okay, so now this man is in a relationship with the second woman. And all of a sudden he finds he has the same issues with the second woman as he has with his wife. And now he's looking astray again, for a third woman. <laughs> it just, it gets more and more difficult than he has to lie to himself and lie to everyone around him, putting aside the fact that he's just wasting a tremendous amount of time. For what? It's an what? emotional nuclear reaction that just spins out of control. Out of control. It's a Chernobyl-level meltdown. Yeah. It's just, it's just unwise in every respect. And putting aside the fact that when you have a really loving relationship with your wife, uh, it, it cannot be more enjoyable. 
despite all the arguments you may have, disagreements and such, when you're really bonded, um, you know, and you have shared values, there's nothing like, you know, the, that kind of intimacy can't beat it. Can't beat it. Yeah, and when you've engaged in a certain number of acts, not just sexual, mind you, that result in having this thing called family, where the commitments and the love has blossomed and grown, and there are people called your children who you get to know more about every day, and your love for them is a type of love you not only didn't experience before they existed, you had no frame of reference to even imagine such a relationship was possible in life. Right. Yeah, it's true. And and you you could put it, yeah. you started with this is well those people who poo poo the Bible don't understand the Bible makes it easy. You know that old saying that isn't it great when other people put mistakes for us so we don't That's have right. to. That's right. And then we can just do what worked and not have to learn from what didn't. That's the best. That's the best. And, and that's where we're learning from. And that's why people really enjoy the Bible. It's not just because they, they feel compelled to, to memorize this or that line from the Bible or that they want to be preached to. Far, far from it. On the contrary, they enjoy it. They, they learn from it constantly. They see nuances to it. In the same way that um, I may listen to Radiohead or the Beatles or classical music and I notice a nuance, an instrument that I haven't heard before or how they went from one part of a song to another part of the song. I, I, I just see it differently, especially after I've not heard it for a month or two. I'll see it. I'll hear it differently. Likewise with the Bible. People study it, and in Israel, by the way, they study it almost every year, and they restudy it every year, and they study with different nuances. So, so that you learn it as one way when you're a first grader, and then still a little bit more nuanced when you're a third grader, fifth grader, seventh grader, and so on, right? To the point that it becomes so, such wisdom. Kind of like the way we study American history. Um, you know, when you, in the first grade, you learn that there was this great man named George Washington, and those guys, the British, they wanted to take away our freedom, right? And we became an independent nation, so we could be free. Yay, George Washington, <laughs> right? That's the essence of how you learn about America, if you're taught at all about America, uh, in first grade. Yeah, they don't teach you about uh, the horrors of Valley Forge in no. first grade, obviously. Right. They don't but when you learn that later in high school or when you're in college and you're doing in-depth study, same guy, George Washington, and you go, oh, the truth was a lot deeper, much more nuanced, right. much more fabulous than I ever thought. And so it is with the Bible. So it is with anything else in, that we actually appreciate deeply. And uh, too many times people just don't seem to want to delve deeply and to ask the question, okay, here's what we want. Is there any sort of track record that helps guide us to understand whether this will work or not, right? I wonder what can teach us about polygamy. Hmm. Or Is I there any historical framework that will help us understand about jealousy? Hmm. I wonder if there's any sort of historical framework that shows us about man's yearning to be free. Hmm. I wonder if there's any um, notion about um, sibling rivalry and, and if that's destructive at all or coveting, uh, you know, wanting things really badly. I wonder about all those things. Well, let's, uh, who knows? Let's just start. Let's figure it out as we go along. Okay, folks, it's just stupid to not 
to, to reinvent this wheel only to make the same mistakes, right? And it's worse than that in a sense because, you know, it's, it's one thing, you, you know, you could, you could say Jacob, sorry, Joseph and his brothers, they didn't have any stories that they could learn from. And so in a sense, they had to suffer the mistakes uh, for all of their sakes um, and, and only to provide a cautionary tale for the rest of humanity later on in time, right? But we have that. We have no excuse. You, you, we should know better. Just like I should know better, um, you know, learning from the lessons of history, that, um, that you, should, you should always build up your military and, and be tough about that. And don't take any, and don't, uh, don't settle until you are confident that everything has been established and that you're going to win. I do that in my litigation matters. I know too many stories about attorneys who've just not protected their clients' rights and then hoped that there would be a settlement at the end. It's not going to, it's not going to settle, not in your terms at least. It'll only settle on your terms when the other side realizes that you are really well prepared and you're ready to rock and roll at trial. If you can't convey that message, you will lose and you certainly will not get a good settlement. So that doesn't mean that every case is yours but to win, but um, you will not, certainly not win a case uh, unless you have the facts on your side, but also that you're prepared. So I, I know that from history, right? Not only from my own history. I don't need to get it from my own history. I can learn from chess, a game that was invented thousands of years ago. Likewise, uh, when I think about uh, things being tough, I think of George Washington, and I get some solace in what he did and how he had to fight back, or Churchill. I don't have to live this all alone. But for so many people out there, they deal with the issues um, as if it was the first time, as if there are no consequences to these things. They don't even ask the question whether there's consequences. Isn't it amazing how in our modern society, and I'm sure you've experienced it because I have too, a friend or relative will call you for advice. You know, they'll go, sure, uh, tell me what happened. And they'll tell you. And you can't say this to them because they're in a bad place right now. But their first thought is, what kind of idiot are you? How did you not know right. that not reading the contract wouldn't be a good idea before you signed it? Yeah, it's a good example. How did you not know not to do a background check or a credit report on this person before you rented to them? How did you not know to protect yourself in some way? And, and we, you know, when we're talking about stories from the Bible, I think you and I would agree. Leviticus 5 whatever, you know, some in-depth law of kosherism, you know, dietary laws, Kashrut, cleanliness, yeah. mm -hmm. fine, whatever. <laughs> but we're talking about Genesis here. Cain and Abel, Adam and Eve, Noah, and then a little bit into the Exodus, you know, N Moses, um, you know, jo as you said, Joseph and Jacob, uh, Abraham and Isaac. We're talking about the basics. We're talking about biblically, essentially, two plus two equals four. Right. Not not some in-depth, preachy-talky stuff, just sort of basic uh, a wisdom that ha shouldn't be lost on anyone, and in no way... Because you bring up, hey, do you know that story about uh, Cain and Abel where the jealous brother killed the one who wasn't, he was jealous of? Yeah. That's, that's not some preachy talky thing about God telling you not to go have fun or look at Playboy magazine. Right. <laughs> that's right. don't murder your brother. <laughs> right. Right. And, and you should know that one. <laughs> yeah, these, these are basic, basic rules, right? Um, 
And the, the Ten Commandments, really, it's not, these are not hard. These are simple rules that are designed to be simple. But people don't understand and say, well, gosh, here's a simple question that, that many people should ask themselves. These Ten Commandments, hmm, I wonder if everyone lived according to the Ten Commandments. I wonder if we would have a peaceful and just society. And then you think it through and you say, yeah, we really would. And then ask the other question and say, I wonder if any of these Ten Commandments are, you know, a relic of the past that don't, doesn't really apply anymore. Hmm. No, not one of them. Um, well, you can say, well, Mr. Lurie, what about this, uh, you know, thou shalt not commit adultery. You know, that still applies that we just spoke about that. Of course, it's, it's not, you know, when people challenge that one in particular, we're not saying that it should be illegal, that you should be uh, thrown to jail if you commit adultery. Yeah, thrown to the wolves in a spiky pit. No, right. We're not talking punishments here. Right. This is a, an issue between you and God. And this is not, not between you and another person. Uh, well, it is between you and your spouse. But it's between you and your spouse and also between you and God. It's not between you and your fellow man. So it is true to say you should not commit adultery. And that is a very good guiding principle. And we all know that too. So, and, and everything else, don't covet, right? Um, don't, don't kill, uh, don't, don't murder rather, don't steal. Uh, don't use my name in vain. Don't carry my name in vain. And all the other uh, honoring your mother and father. How are any of these Ten Commandments some, somehow anachronistic? That's the amazing thing about the Ten Commandments. It's, it's so wonderful because you would think that if it were some sort of cult, right? You would expect two things. One, that it, it would at least have some commandment there saying, hey, whatever that Moses guy says, do it. <laughs> Give him a lot of riches and whatever. You know, everything I say doesn't apply to Moses. <laughs> he gets to have as many women as he wants, as much food as he wants, and as much fun in every respect as he wants, right? Um, anything that he wants. So, so make that rule. But no, there's not that rule. There's no, there's no reference to any particular individual or group of people that somehow should be favored over another group of people. That's what you would expect when it comes to a cult leader. Yeah, they, with cults, they have to have a leader. No leader, no cult. Right. Jim Jones, Kim Il-sung, Paul Pot, right. L. Ron Hubbard, there has to be a leader. Right. The, and the only leader you can point to is God himself. All right, I am your God, and that's it. And uh, so that's the only leader of the whole thing. What an odd thing when you think about it. If you, if you were to truly be cynical about religion, and boy, there certainly are a lot of people out there, right? They would say things like, well, religion is the opiate of the masses. Uh, it's designed to put people down. Okay, well, why is it anywhere in the Ten Commandments or among any of the other biblical stories where it says, you got to listen to that King David guy. He's, uh, he's, he's, he's got it going, man. Or uh, any, anything else. Why is it that throughout the Bible, each of the leaders, including King David, are shown with all their warts and uh, are judged harshly? Why? Right? It's not consistent with this cynical interpretation of the Bible, that it, or at least that it's open to the people. Here's the other thing, and the second thing that you would expect, is that at least one of the Ten Commandments would be considered wildly anachronistic. Right? And by anachronistic, I mean out of the time. It's no longer applicable. Right? Um, like, 
Uh, how murdering has, uh, banning murder has just fallen out of style. Right, yeah, something like that. Uh, you, something like, uh, you know, thou shalt not, uh, thou shalt always make sure to clean uh, thine 8-track uh, cassettes every month or so, right? I mean, clearly, <laughs> that would be out of time. Because <laughs> uh, it wouldn't make sense anymore. Thou shalt uh, always maintain their uh, Betamax. <laughs> That's right, the Betamax... Uh, but there's there's nothing that you could I mean we're joking in there but but there are other things that you would consider to be out of time, um, like the, for example that there was a notion of uh, dowry right that's something that we consider now as anachronistic something that doesn't belong in our time, no one's offended by not you, know, you don't think right away about a dowry right but there's no reference to that in in the Ten Commandments or elsewhere even though they did it back in those even though days. They, they did it it's as if they knew that this would not be relevant after a while. Likewise, there's no reference really to slavery in the Ten Commandments. Interesting, right? Unless it's uh, not in the, in Ten, the Ten Commandments. Commandments. Right. Uh, the only place it's really in that story is, is uh, in the Exodus before the commandments are given. And right. it's not looked on as a good thing. Right. In fact, he just, you know, this, this is, uh, the, the Ten Commandments were given after the, uh, Moses and all the Jews had left Pharaoh's slavery and bondage, right? So you would think there'd be something there, but here's the interesting thing. The Ten Commandments contemplate slavery in its own way, right? Through the notion of not stealing, through the notion of not killing, through the notion of not coveting, and all the things that are appropriate to, to do, uh, to act godly, to understand God. You, you, know, you, you wouldn't engage in slavery if you followed the Ten Commandments. So this is what I love so much about the Ten Commandments and why I've really come to appreciate the wisdom of the Ten Commandments. Even if you can say it's all been invented, I don't think it was, because if it were invented, you would expect to see some of the flaws that I just mentioned. It wouldn't be so timeless as it is. Um, so it's either divinely inspired or actually written by God. It's one of the two. Do you know what else is so interesting about it? These people, a, um, a loathed and downtrodden minority, escapes bondage. They're wandering in the Sinai. And instead of God coming down and giving them affirmative action, welfare programs, and food stamps, he gives them ten commandments oh, yes. in which he expects things from them. Good point. Not, not this victimhood. Right. Oh, you've been really some really tough times. Yeah, so. you guys should all go to Harvard. That's I don't right. care what grades you get. I feel bad that I let you get into bondage. <laughs> and, you know... <laughs> I really, reparations. I, I owe you big time reparations. It doesn't it. say go back to Egypt and beg for reparations. That's right. That's right. It says go succeed. That's right. It's a very good point, Ari. I, I'm I'm really impressed with that. That's that's something that I might raise in, in, in a blog or so. Um, it's a very impressive point. And because the only way that you're truly going to be free is to not look at yourself as a slave and not look at yourself as a victim. Or that you're, that you're entitled to anything. And just like the, the United States Constitution focuses on negative rights, in other words, uh, Congress shall make no law abridging the right to free speech and so on, um, the Ten Commandments is largely uh, negative rights. You shall not, or negative commandments, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, not commit adultery. Most of them, not all of them, of course. Um, but this is, is powerful stuff. And the point of this podcast is really to study how we must look back in history if we are ever to move forward. 
we talked before about things that are on the table that shouldn't be and the conversations that we should be having, but we're not having. We're stuck down in the mire along with the, uh, the lowest common denominator people and trying to just get them to understand what the issues, issues should be so that we can get out of this, this, this funk, this, this nonsense, this pointless existence. We need to move forward and ask more meaningful questions like, how do we spread liberty? Um, how do we uh, you know, bring out the best in people so that they're not in poverty anymore? How do we increase wealth, which is a very related question? These are the things that we should be asking. Instead, we ask, you know, uh, we focus on gay marriage, which, you know, again, putting aside the merits of it, it's just... Bizarre. How much money can we give people not to work? How much food can we feed people who haven't earned it? Yeah. You know... Yeah, what kind of program can we can we install now? So these are the questions, and and I want to really focus on how, at the end of the day, um, the only way we're going to learn anything, that we're going to be able to move forward, is by studying history, and there are some really great sources for that history. Um, among those are uh, the uh, the Bible. These these are fantastic stories. And if you don't like learning from the Bible, well, then learn from American history. Or Plato or Socrates or any other classic, You're, whatever it is, the Iliad. Right. You want to learn from about power? Study Napoleon and Hitler. Uh, study about uh, Stalin. Uh, if you want to learn about what happens when you don't have God in, in your lives, when there's a godless government, look at the 20th century. You have plenty to learn from. But don't make the same mistake that so many people make, which is, to not learn from history at all, to not even ask themselves, where is a source that might help me understand what will happen if I embrace this or that policy? If we did that, I think we'd be in a much better shape. But we're not. We're in the age of where we have to reteach everything. This is Barack Lurie, and thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next week. Always a pleasure.